0: Uh, 2022, I'm excited about it and by God's grace, we're in Genesis 21. It almost worked out perfect, but, um, we're in Genesis 21 and we're going to pick up where we left off and, and look at God's word together. I am, uh, again, excited about the new year, excited. Jeremy mentioned, uh, we like to take, uh, coming up on a year, like to take for us, uh, over this past year, you've heard several times, maybe in your life group or other places, where we've emphasized what is the gospel and just kind of gave that idea of God, man, Christ response. Here's what the gospel is. And, and so as we look to this year, we want to emphasize that idea of what are we as believers to be doing And we are to have habits in our life that must reflect what God calls us to do. And one of those is in our daily, our weekly, our monthly rhythms, we must be reading God's word, praying to him and worshiping him. And so we're gonna look at those over the next four weeks. I'm excited about that. So we'll start that this coming Sunday. Um, The book of Genesis for us over the last semester if you remember, kind of read just in, in this, uh, looking at the life of Abraham from the time of Genesis 12 when he received the promises of God, uh, that threefold promise that he will be a great nation, God will give him a land and he will bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. So those three, great nation, a land and blessing, all of those will come to him. And so from that point, we've kind of watched what's happened in Abraham's life, and what we have noticed with Abraham is everything was not always great. We see God working and doing wonderful things. We see Abraham doing incredible things through the power of God, and we also see him failing and struggling as well, and it's shown us again that uh, the Bible is, I think, it's a testimony to the truth of God's Word. God's Word does not hide even the flaws of its characters in there, even the the ones that we look to and 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 we uh, see their story. the Bible tells the truth about them even when they mess up right and so it doesn't make much sense for us to say that the whole a nation of Israel was founded on Abraham. If we were just making this up ourselves, we probably wouldn't mention how many times Abraham failed or what he did wrong. We would try to bring up the fact that Abraham did what was right and was good and, and all those other things. But the Bible is true about this because we remember this one little note about God's word. It, the main character of God's word is God and who doesn't fail and who's always faithful is God, and that's exactly what we see here in Genesis 21. Abraham has woven this kind of life where he received the promises, and then immediately he did something that was not very smart. He lied about his wife and and told uh, a, a leader that his wife was his sister, which put her in jeopardy and the promise of God that. His son will be a seed that leads to this great nation, even though they couldn't have children. And so it puts that in jeopardy. That happens immediately after he receives the promise. But then after that, through that, God still blesses him. He still blesses him and increases his land and increases his wealth and increases his stuff from the Pharaoh in Egypt. Then we see his travels and his journey. Uh, difficulty with his nephew, Lot, as he comes back. And we see that, that distinction between Lot's choices and where Lot ends up. And we ended with that, with that good Christmas Wednesday night service. <clears throat> if you remember where Lot's daughters had did something awful to him in a cave, right? And so we were ended there because Lot's choices began with him just looking towards Sodom. And he ends up in a cave with his daughters, something awful happening, right? So you start this progression and we've seen that. And we see the opposite with Abraham, how Abraham is trying to follow after God and he's being blessed by it. Lot is following after the ways of the world and he's struggling with it. And you see this dynamic playing out. You see Abraham, uh, God working through Abraham to conquer the kings around him. You see Abraham doing, receiving another promise of God that that not only will he be blessed, be a great nation, have a land, not only that, this will come through this child and he will have descendants as many as the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. And so he receives these even more promises in this, uh, this, uh, Mark of the covenant of of these promises through circumcision and other things. So you see God just reiterating his promises over and over again. And so ultimately when you get to this passage, remember the promise to Abraham of all these things was dependent upon Abraham having a son, having a child. The problem was Abraham was old and Sarah was old. And I'm not gonna tell you how, um, Sarah was advanced in years, Abraham's old, She was advanced. And and so you have that problem and they could not have children. So she's clearly past birthing age without any kids. And so if the promise of God is dependent upon him having children and it will be through Sarah as God has said, but she can't have any children, then you can see the dilemma that Abraham is dealing with. How do I trust? What do I do? How do I handle these promises? and understand them in light of who God is and what he's doing. And so when you get to Genesis 21, we recognize from when the promise was first given until this passage is about 25 years. And so the promise was given to Abraham at about 75. Now he's 100. Now he's 100. Now just to put that in perspective, obviously Abraham lives longer than most people live nowadays. Um, But this is not before the flood. Before the flood is when people were living 900 years and other things. Since the flood has happened, that life expectancy has gone way down. So being 100 was much more like being 100 now, right? And so you have Abraham being 100, you have Sarah right behind him, not able to have kids, God has done something where he's made a promise. And the only way that promise can come true is if God does it. In so many passages in scripture, so many places, God takes away all human possibility to demonstrate his power and his faithfulness, right? He takes away any other option. You can't explain this away. How is it that Sarah's going to have a child when Abraham's 100 and Sarah's barren and she's right behind him? How is that the case? It's only going to be God's work. It's only going to be God's work. And so when you get to 21, you see the work of God being on display. And it says in chapter 21, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. So, just in the first verse, who's the main character? It's not Sarah, it's the Lord. It's the Lord has done this, and Sarah is involved. She's a part of it, of course. But this is the Lord's work. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, he had kept his promise. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Now, I must say here that we need to recognize that this is uh, the Lord always, seemingly always. uh, I never like to categorize the Lord in, in stating something emphatically other than God does not lie. Right. But he can do what he wants to do. What God does do is usually work within the means by which he is established for things to operate. And he brings about his miraculous work even through the means that he has given. So it's not just the ends that are ordained by God, how this is going to come out. It's the means by which we get there that are ordained by God. So here, Sarah and Abraham do what married couples do. And at the same time, At the same time, God does it. Does that make sense to everybody? You can still give God all the credit and all the glory because he has performed this great work is what it's saying here. God visits Sarah. God does as he has promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. So this threefold deal here of God has done this. God has visited Sarah and God did it when? Right when he said he would. Now, Abraham wouldn't agree with this, probably. Abraham would struggle with this because it's been 25 years since the promise. And we know we're going to have to deal with the fact that one episode within those 25 years demonstrated that Abraham was struggling with whether or not this was going to come true. And that's the episode with Hagar. And so... At the same time, what Genesis 21 is emphasizing is this is God's work. God has kept his promise as he has said. He did it as he has said he would. And he did it right when he said he would. We got to remember, and it's hard for us in our uh, constant, I don't know how to put this other than we tend to be impatient, don't we? You can act like you're patient. You know what I'm saying? But our tendency is when we want something, we want it rather at a time that is appropriate in our own eyes. Is that saying it nicely enough? We tend to be impatient and we think that things have to work on our schedule by which we operate. And so, nothing demonstrates that more than the husband. I'm, I, well, I shouldn't say that. I have spent many an hour in my car with it running, waiting. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Time to go. So I get in the car thinking it's about to happen. It's always the kid's fault. But we tend to want things when we want them at that time. But what the scripture teaches us is that God's timing is better than our timing. And that God gives it to us right exactly when he wants to give it to us. And so we got to remember this truth that God always keeps his promises and he always keeps them right on schedule. Right on schedule. And so Genesis 21 is a testimony of that. Even in the first two verses, God kept his promise when it seemed to be no way God made a way. God has done. And just when he said he was, he has done this. So Isaac is born and Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him when Sarah bore him, Isaac. Now, Isaac means he laughs. There's no uh, way we can't read this without any understanding of what's happened previously. If you remember what, did, what happened whenever God told Abraham he would have a son, he laughed. You know, my goodness, what are you talking about? What happened whenever Sarah overheard the promise of the angel to Abraham that she would bear that child? She laughed. And in sense, she laughed there as we look at this in unbelief. Ain't no way. She laughs at this. But now her unbelief, laughter of unbelief has turned to a laughter of joy. And there's no better, I think, I like that description for what happens with Sarah. She goes from laughing, not believing it's even possible God couldn't do, this is crazy to even think it's here, to laughing of joy that God has accomplished what she never dreamed he could accomplish. And so many times in our life, you probably can testify to this, a laughter at, well, I can't believe that's true. And then, and then a laughter of when it comes true will just pure joy. And she names him Isaac because her laughter of disbelief has turned to a laughter of joy. It's turned to a laughter of joy. And she says, and Abraham uh, goes on, he says verse, verse four, Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, just as God had told him to an act of belief. Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, going back to chapter 17, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me, not at her, but enjoy with her. Enjoy with her. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham, That Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. You see the pure joy that Sarah has. God has fulfilled her hopes and dreams to have a child, even at this old age. And she laughs with joy. This passage here in these first couple sections kind of lean, this first seven verses leans into who God is really. And it it points out some things for us. We see first and foremost that God is always faithful. We've talked about this. He's always faithful. Abraham is noticing God's faithfulness here. Even as as he brings it up, we see God's faithfulness. God is always faithful, but not only is he always faithful, and this is a glorious combination for us. God is always faithful and God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. You know, I saw something online the other day, and I had to laugh at it. It said, I'm not worried about Omicron because my God is omnipotent. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's not Omicron, y'all. It's Omicron. It's a whole different word, okay? So don't don't pass that on or don't add that to your Facebook and send it out there because it's hogwash. Omicron's a letter in the Greek alphabet, right? Omni means all something. Omni, omnipotent means all powerful. God surely is that. And God is faithful and God is all powerful. So the, that combination is a glorious combination for us. I've had several of you mention to me, even somebody tonight mentioned it in a kind way, mention to me the Christmas Eve service where I spoke about uh Numbers chapter 22, yeah, you know, you go anywhere, you do something, you preach so many, I've only been here um, one year, it's my first Christmas, but I figured I might as well enter in with a bang and do this on Christmas Eve. But talking about that, and I said something in there that I like. I don't know if you caught it, so I'm gonna repeat it. (laughs) Whenever Balaam is riding his donkey and the donkey begins to talk, right? The donkey begins to talk, and people that like, no, we know donkeys don't talk. We know. Have you ever heard a donkey you know, scream? Y'all, y'all ever heard that? We had a neighbor that had a donkey right beside us, and i tell you what, I thought somebody was dying every morning until I remembered there's a donkey over there. I mean, it's loud. But this donkey starts talking, and people might say, we know donkeys don't talk. But for us who believe in an all-powerful God, I don't want to believe in a God who can't make a donkey talk. Amen. This is the one who created them, who made them. And if he wants to give them a voice box and the ability to talk, by all means, he most certainly can. And so ultimately, that's for us. We believe in a God who's faithful to keep his promise, and he has the power to keep his promises. Nothing is stopping him from keeping his promises. Nothing's holding him back from keeping his promises. Nobody can can, uh, challenge him on keeping his promises. We've got to remember even the devil is God's devil in this sense. There's no way he can challenge. Christianity is not a dualism like there's God and there's the devil. Y'all know that, right? There is God and there is no other. He is above all things. And the devil has to even answer to him. Just read Job 1 and 2. Nobody can challenge him. He's all powerful and he can do exactly what he says he can do. Nobody can stop him. And so here, Abraham notices this. Not only is God faithful, but he's done what he said he would do. God did, the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. He had enough power. If he wants to give Sarah a child in her womb at 100 years old, he most certainly can, and he did. He's all powerful. No human explanation can be found for what happened here. And Abraham wants to make note of that I believe not only that, God strengthens his people, but finally God works and operates on his own timetable. All of these things I mentioned, Abraham is seeing this and recognizing this in verses one through seven. God is faithful, God is all powerful, and God is on His always on time for us. Those truths are good, right? I mean, for us, as we look at it, we see so many things happening. And really, you know, we have, we've had so many years, I mean, in my mind, you have so many years where it's just kind of been even for us. Nothing's really changed in our life. Everything, although although technology has blown up, right? I mean, we live, just to let y'all know, we live in the largest generation gaps in human history. Generations used to be 40 to 50 years. You know what I'm saying? Now generations are about 15 to 20 because in those time periods, things change so much in this that everything's different. This crowd is growing up different than me. And we all quickly are feeling older than we really are. And I mean, I don't feel that way. But <laughs> we live in it. So while things change, yet in some sense, there's been a huge stability with things. We can count on stuff, right? We can, we can count on things working. We can count on things happening. We can count on schedules. And while there are minor interruptions, usually they are isolated and small. But over the last couple years, we've kind of had this upheaval for us that Things can change rapidly, massively in incredible ways. And so maybe, hopefully, it's been a reminder for us that although rapid change may be happening and our lifestyles may be upsetting, God is still faithful to keep his promises and he is all powerful that nothing can stop him from doing it. And he takes care of us. He takes care of us on his time. And we should be comforted by these truths. Abraham was comforted. And that baby boy that he's holding was a testimony to everything that he believed now about God. The attributes of God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's power, God's majesty, his ability, all those things are evidence now in holding this baby boy. And probably all of us have something in our life that are testimonies to God's goodness, faithfulness, and how he's always on time. Evidence of it. And that was this for Abraham. That was this. Now, I find it interesting here to think through this. Because if, if, if you will, turn with me to a passage I want to point out. And that's in Romans chapter 4. Because I'm troubled by this sometimes. I mean, when you read Abraham's story we recognize even the failures and the missteps and the acts of even unbelief because we can't help but see that, and we talked about this, Even when you had the episode with Hagar, which caused Ishmael to be born, this was an act of unbelief on their part because Sarah, if you remember, said, I'm barren. I can't have kids. So if you're going to be the father of many nations, the stars in the sky and the sands of the sea, then, then you better get a kid from somebody else. Take Hagar and have a child. And so you see, that's even an act of unbelief of the promises in some sense. But I love what Paul does here in Romans. And it's quite interesting to me because Paul is going to walk through for us what faith is. And he's going to use Abraham to do this. And notice in Romans 4, verse, well, here we go. Let me do this. Verse 16. He says, that's why it depends on faith. talking about Abraham. In order that the promise may rest on grace, be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And I'm going to get back to that. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist in hope, in hope this is verse 18 in hope he believed against hope there's no reason for him to believe right that he's going to have a kid he's got a wife who's advanced he's older there's no so he's believing in this in spite of all of the evidence that it's possible he says in hope he believed against hope That he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. He couldn't be the father of one child. How is he going to be the father of many nations? There's no evidence that this could even be possible, but yet he had a promise, so he still believed in hope against hope. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Now, that's Paul describing what it's like to be old. Just letting y'all know, that's not me, that's inspired by the Holy Spirit, God's word. You know what I'm saying? When you get old, you're as good as dead, okay? Just letting y'all know, don't get mad at me. That's, talk about that with the Lord. Which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Now, no, that's a long way for most of y'all. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, hope against hope. He's as good as dead in his body. I mean, the next step is the grave, right? The next promotion is there. He's not waiting on anything major to happen. He's checked off all of the boxes on his bucket list. He's done everything else. The next step is death. He's as good as dead. Sarah is barren and she's been barren her whole life. You know what I'm saying? So there's never, they, they haven't had a. He's hoping against all circumstances, against all evidence. He's hoping. Why is he doing this? Because he's not looking at the circumstances and the evidence. He's looking at the God in whom he serves. He's believing in the attributes of God. He believes in his faithfulness. He believes in his power, right? He believes in his goodness. He believes in those things. So what causes someone to hope against all seeming evidence? If there was no God, then there's no way this possibly could happen. And you can trust the evidence. But all of your seeming evidence is trumped by a God who is faithful and powerful. All of it. And so here, that's more important. And so he says, he's hoping his hope, he's as good as dead. Sarah's womb's barren. Verse 20. Find this incredible. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now, isn't that interesting? We studied some passages where his faith wavered, didn't we? We looked at him whenever he went into Egypt and he was scared they would kill him because of Sarah and how pretty she was. So they may take his life to get her. Now that's not much believing in the promises of God. God just said, you're going to be a father of many nations. Up to that point, he didn't have any kids. And so ultimately, ultimately he should be believing that God's going to take care of me even in this circumstances. God made a promise, right? It was an act even of unbelief. Or, or with the situation with Abimelech where he did the same thing, believing that he would be killed and having seen the error of his ways the first time when God uh, judged Egypt because of his act, he still does it the second time. Seems odd, doesn't it? Not believing, not trusting. Or the incident, as we'll get back to with Hagar, where it was a act where he tried to take matters into his own hands. And he demonstrated in that faith unbelief. But what does he say here? No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Now, Romans, Paul is writing inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's not wrong, he's right, you know what I'm saying? So what does that mean for us putting these two together? It means that for Abraham, There was never a point in time where he did not believe. There was points in time where where he did not believe strongly, where his faith was weak. And when his faith was weak, he acted in opposition even to what he knew because he tried to take matters into his own hands. I believe what this passage is teaching us is there are degrees of faith. We see that in Scripture. We see Jesus... uh, There with the man whose son is sick, you know, and, and what does that man say when, when Jesus says with God, with man, this is impossible with God, all things are possible. And his father yells out, I believe, help my unbelief, right? I believe, help me to believe more. We see when he sees this, this lady who clings to Jesus and Jesus tries to get her off of, him, but she won't let go. And Jesus looks at her, her faith is great. Obviously, she has a great faith, which is a comparative term. So there's times when our faith is weak. There's times when it is great. And then he says, if you simply have the faith of what? A mustard seed. Why did he choose the mustard seed? The smallest of all seeds as they would know it. If you just had that size faith, that would be enough. Because the Bible tells us that what must we have to believe in the Lord? We must believe by faith. He doesn't qualify that to say you must believe by a lot of faith, right? He doesn't qualify that by saying you must believe by A faith that is always unwavering. In fact, in Hebrews 12, he invites us to have an unwavering faith. He calls us to lean deeper on the Lord. So what happens for us sometimes is, yes, we know it. We know God is good. We know God is powerful. We know he loves us. We know he's in charge. We know he's faithful. We know those things. But when we know those things and we don't act in those things, we're still acting somewhat in disbelief, right? We know it to be true. But we still act and we do things that aren't in keeping with what we know. Why is that? Because our faith could be weak. And here for Abraham, there's times when his faith was weak and when his faith was weak he made decisions and choices that will have major ramifications not only for him but for people generations after him over and over and over again. His acts of where his faith was weak and his acts of disbelief are going to, to ripple throughout all the centuries and even to this day they are there. You're going to see that in even a minute. But When Abraham leaned in and he said, I know God is good and I know God is faithful and I know he's powerful and I'm trusting him completely in these things. And his faith grew stronger. Why? Because he didn't just know it. He acted upon what he knows and he put into practice what he knew about who God was and what he's doing. And what I'm saying to you, there's sense in scripture that teaches us and shows us That when we take what we know about who God is and we apply that to every decision in our life and what we do, we are demonstrating a great faith, right? We're demonstrating a faith that's trusting not only what we know, but we're now applying it in every decision we make. And so I know God is good. I know he's faithful. I know he knows what's best for Josh. And there's times I start to go, maybe I got this thing figured out and I can handle this on my own. I act sometimes in what Paul tells the Corinthians is carnality. I make decisions. Paul calls the Corinthians saints, but then they do stupid stuff. And he says, when you start acting that way, you're acting like you're not saints, right? And there's times even us saints can act like we're not saints. And those times are times when we not only have a weak faith, we're not acting in light of what we truly believe. If you're telling me as a believer, you never sin, you know, then what you're telling me is that you always know who God is and you act in accordance with that every single time. And what we know is that's not true. But what I love about this is the faithfulness of God for Abraham, even when he acts in disbelief. Abraham's decision, and I said this a couple times last fall, Abraham's decisions never change the promises of God. They never change them. God's promises will come to pass. Abraham's decisions do change and affect his own life in negative ways. In in some ways, awful ways. Because what's our next passage? Our next passage in Chapter 21 of Genesis is the fact that while Sarah believes many will laugh with joy over her, not everybody does. In fact, it says there's this weaning ceremony that's going on. I guess uh, Isaac had come and they'd been weaned and now they're gonna have a ceremony This was usually about the age of two to three years old. I don't know about all these ceremonies. When I was born, when I had kids, right? There's stuff we do nowadays I don't know about either. I don't know about all these gender reveal stuff. My goodness, when we had a kid, you know what I did? It's a boy, hey, I'm having a boy. I told everybody right then, I said, what are we waiting on? So we do ceremonies, right? And so obviously here, there's a ceremony because of this time and they're recognizing this time. So you see that down here. And whenever this happened, two to three years old, probably roughly that age, verse nine, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, didn't he mention his name, the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham doing what? <laughs> Laughing, not in joy, but in mockery. And how do we know it's in mockery? Sarah says, everybody's going to laugh with joy with me, but that's not the case. We know that's that's true, right? When we're doing what God's called us to do and we're fulfilling God's plan, not everybody's going to be happy about it, right? Well, here's the situation. Now, here's Hagar and her son laughing at this boy. How do we know it's in mockery? Look at what her response is. She said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman. By the way, remember, Hagar's her Servant. Remember, Hagar is the one that Sarah offered to Abraham. Hagar, just to remind you guys, was not Abraham's idea. Hagar was Sarah's idea. And so here it's gone from let me do this to now, she says, cast out this slave woman with her son for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son, Isaac. Now, understand this. Abraham went for years without a kid. And he has a kid first with who? Hagar. Ishmael is his son. Ishmael is his son, and obviously they brought him into the household and to the family, right? He's taking care of his son, and there's a sense which here, Abraham, it says, this thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account that this is his son. Imagine this is his boy. Abraham made a wrong decision that acted in unbelief to the promise of God, right? He laid with Hagar, and the consequences of that are rippling down now because now he has the son of promise Isaac and Hagar over here, and he has Sarah and uh, uh, son of promise Isaac with, with Sarah, and then he has Hagar with Ishmael, and now there becomes this rivalry. Who is going to be the true heir? And we know that the true heir is Isaac, but because of Abraham's choices, he's made all of this kind of muddy in relationships. Do you understand what I mean then when I say when we make choices where we think we know what's best and we don't follow completely after God trusting in his way, his path, it's always going to lead to messiness. And I know y'all's family's not messy. Y'all are as clean and got it figured out. But there's people out there that have rough stuff going on in the families, right? And nine times out of 10, it's because of sinful choices that were made throughout time, right? And so we've seen this. So here now, Abraham has to make a choice. He's got a son, Ishmael. He's got a son, Isaac. Obviously, son Isaac is a son of the promise. But Ishmael, he loves. He, he's displeasing to him now because Sarah's saying, get him out of here. And what's going to happen? The thing was very displeasing, Abraham, on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the, of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. God is making it clear. Isaac is the one to promise. Shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman. But because of the connection that Ishmael has with Abraham, God will says, cast them away, but I will take care of them. I will bless them, right? So God is not casting them away to lead them. God says to Abraham, I'll take better care of them than you can here. And you need to be clear on who the the heir is and there's no challenger. And so he says, you do what Sarah says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child, imagine how painful this is. Don't read through this and go, I got what he deserved. This is a child who she's having to leave because she's got no more water in the wilderness and she leaves him under a bush because she doesn't want to watch him die. This is brutal. Why is this happening? Because Abraham acted in disbelief and it's rippling effects are taking on. When we make sinful choices, don't think it only affects us. This is affecting generation after generation. It's affecting all those around. And so our sin and our choices are never, hear me, and some of y'all are a little more advanced than others, and you may have learned this lesson. Our sin and our choices never just affect us, right? We have relationships. We have family. We have others that are depending on us, looking to us, and they affect on down. So here you see this effect that happens. So when the water in the skin was gone, she puts him there to die. And God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is up, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him unto a great nation. In other words, he says, I will take care of you. God shows even favor here to Hagar and to Ishmael. I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water, gave the boy a drink, and God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the wilderness, became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. His mother took a uh, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. If you flip over just a couple pages there to Genesis chapter 25 you see a section, a short section where it says, these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Nabaoth, the firstborn of Ishmael, Kedar, Ab, Abbil, Mibshan, Mish... I don't even know why I started reading these names. Um, hey Dad, Tima, Jetur, Nafish, and Kedemah. These are the sons of Ishmael. These are their names by their villages and by their encampments. 12 princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael. 137, he breathed his last and died, was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite of Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. Ishmael becomes the father of many nations. And not only that, how many children, princes, did he have? Twelve. You almost see another group here, Israel. How many is Isaac? How many is Isaac? Uh, Jacob going to have twelve? So you see that the Lord is blessing them. But what's the difference? These have been cast outside of the promises of God. Right? His care, his protection, all of this. Whole nations. We know Ishmael is the father of the Arab nations. And they've been set outside. But what's true about them? They've been the enemies of Israel for years, right? And so you see, God made them great. When it says that Abraham will be the father of many nations, he's not just talking about Israel, he's demonstrating that Abraham's descendants are like the sand of the sea and the stars in the sky. And half of his descendants over here, if you can say half, I don't know exactly the number. They're separated from the promises of God. And why is that? Because of Abraham's sinful choice of what he did. You see the effect of it all. And we know what's next in chapter 22, right? He sent away Ishmael, which makes the test in chapter 22 of to take Isaac up on the mountain and stab him in the heart, right, and sacrifice him. It makes that test all the greater because now this is the only son. Abraham does not have the idea in his head that I've got another heir. You don't have another heir. This is the promised one. Ishmael is out of the picture. He is gone. He is in the wilderness with his mother. God's taking care of him, but he's no longer there. When Abraham goes, you feel the full thrust of what God asked him to do because the one who was promised... The one who was promised, God says, it's time for you to sacrifice him. The test in its fullness. Ishmael is dealt with. Now, go back to Romans 4. And he says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. That, I believe, is the key here. What is it that makes our actions righteous versus unrighteous? It's the idea that we do everything for the glory of God, not for ourselves, not for who we are. So when Abraham had a belief of God's promises, his faithfulness, his goodness, his his love for him, when Abraham had that and he acted upon that, he is leaning in to give God all the glory. God receives the glory. God receives the glory. And when he does that, his, his actions are demonstrated as faithful and good. So what I'm telling you is that every action you have, even every thought, Paul will say later, do everything to what? the glory of God, you put it, you make it captive to God, captive to his glory. You give him everything in his credit. That's what God's called us to do. And whenever Abraham has that, when he does that, he's demonstrating this great faith and he never loses that. There's times when his faith is weak and he acts on weak faith in disbelief. On issues, There's times when that happens, but he never loses his faith ultimately. And he leans in and we're going to see in chapter 22, he leans in strong, finally saying, you know what? God made a promise. And as Hebrews tells us not to give away chapter 22, we'll be there in four or five weeks. But when Hebrews tells us this, Hebrews says, That Abraham believed when he took Isaac on the mountain, that if he was to stab him in the heart and kill him, God would raise him from the dead because that's the promise of God. So what God asks, Abraham leaned in and said, God is faithful and God is powerful. And even if I take his life, God will bring him back from the dead because he made a promise. He's going to keep it. He's going to keep it. That's what God calls us to do. That's the faith God calls us to have. And what he says here then next, he says, this is off the glory of God because he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord. He goes from Abraham straight to what? Jesus. Why? Because all the promises of God are yes and amen where? In Jesus. All of them. So God demonstrated not only for us, this is why Jesus said the greatest in my kingdom are better than John the Baptist because he, he didn't see the promises of God fulfilled. God says the greatest there is this because Jesus is the demonstration that God will keep his promises and he's got the power to do it. And even the sinful choices of men, even the wickedness of men is not able to stop the promises of God. God even uses their sinful wickedness to bring about his promises. That's what it means when it says God makes his enemy his footstool, right? It's not just that God conquers his enemy, his enemies serve him. They serve him and bring about his purposes. And so Paul is making a point that what I'm talking about with Abraham, I'm not just writing that so y'all think Abraham's great. I'm writing that to let y'all know that you can trust God because look at what he's done in Christ. And what God has done in Christ is what's incredible is here Abraham had to send his son away, Ishmael, outside of the promises of God, outside of his care, still blessed by God through his providential overseeing. But outside of the promised faithfulness of God and the covenant that he gave, he had to cast them out. But what's incredible about God is what he did through Jesus has allowed those who were outside those promises to come back in. Has allowed those who were the nations that were separated, now the news for them is we know you were cast out. They're back in Genesis 21. But now, because of what God has done in his faithful promises, you can come back and be welcomed. Because what happens for Abraham is it's not talking about his blood relatives that's going to be great. It's talking about those who have the faith that Abraham has. Because Galatians 3 tells us the children of Abraham are children who demonstrate the faith that Abraham had, their children by faith. And those come from many nations, from many nations. Paul says, all of this was written for your sake, because Jesus is Lord. And Paul's writing to the Romans, and guess what? The Romans were those who were outside the promises of God. The Romans were not Jews, the Romans were Gentiles. And he's saying, I'm telling you all this, even though it's Jewish history, because this history has everything to do with the fact that I'm able to come to you now and tell you that Jesus Christ has come and God is faithful to fulfill his promises. And you too can believe just like Abraham did and be fully blessed by God, welcomed into his kingdom. That's why it's for us as Gentiles outside of the promises of God who now can be brought in through what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus, our Lord, who believe in him, who raised him from the dead, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. I think it's incredible here as we look to these things to see like that man, that man whose son was sick, had a demon spirit, And Jesus said, look, getting this son well is impossible with men, but with God, all things are possible. That man had a decision to make right then. Do I believe God is here? Right? If Jesus says to you, hey, look here, this is impossible with men, but with God, all things possible. Now you gotta decide, is this guy God? Can he really help me? And the man responded, what? I believe. Help my unbelief. I love uh, one of my, of course, my heroes. Y'all have heard me say it before. Um, Charles Spurgeon, when they found his Bible, he had something written on the front cover. Inside, he wrote it there. And he said, Lord, I believe in there. Today, Make me a better believer. And I'm be- I think that's it. Christianity is not about necessarily just having some past experience with God. Christianity is about believing and believing right now. I told my kids growing up, we talked to them every night. We talked to them about the gospel and everything else. And I asked them, Do you believe? Yes, Teddy. And you know what my response always is? Keep on believing. Not to be cliche or make y'all think of a song you can't get out your head, but don't stop believing, right? That's what Christianity is. It's believing. But it's even more than that. It's acting upon that belief for the glory of God. And in that, we find that life that is abundant and above all things. And Abraham is a demonstration of that. What happens when we don't act on that belief? What happens when we do? and we see the glory of God on display in his life, in both, which is so comforting to us. But the consequences of not acting upon God's word and his truth can be terrible. So let's be faithful just as God is faithful. Let's be holy just as God is holy and pursue after those things in belief, leaning in to give him all the glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, your truth to us, Help us today, God, to be better believers in every way. way. Thank you for all of this in Jesus' name, amen.